You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This Digital Noise episode also is a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. After a short break, Digital Noise is indeed right back. Here we are. <laughs> you didn't believe us. I mean, I they, hope they, they did. I did. Hope they, imagine they did. Yeah, we've got like 260-some episodes at this you know, point. I think they're like, I, you can't get rid of them. I was doing a serial villain thing, and it, like, it didn't make sense, but I was just going for it. I was happy. I was snidely whiplash. <laughs> It's funny, I almost, I came this close to starting with, it was a dark time for the listeners of Digital Noise, but then I remembered <laughs> we have a really great list of stuff yeah, to talk do. about today. <laughs> I mean, with the exception of one that is so bad, so unbelievably hair-raisingly terrible and m- misinformed and just bad that I almost recommend people watch <laughs> it who like that sort of thing. No, I, I don't. I really don't. You can't do it? No, I can't. <laughs> okay. Well, that's Aaron. I'm Chris. We're here to review Blu-rays, and we're all out of gum. Oh, wait. I screwed that up. <laughs> I, in fact, in more than one way, because I actually have some gum right here. So, oh, yeah. That me- that joke messed up on multiple levels. It did. It was just not real. It was, I feel like I'm lying to everyone. Let's not lie to people anymore. We're not even talking about a John Carpenter movie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no we are not oh that's always it makes me a little sad when we're not talking about a john Carpenter I know, especially movie. when martin scorsese is i mean we wait what did, we, did you not hear about this some review martin scorsese did of they live came out as as proof that like hey guys just because martin scorsese doesn't really dig marvel movies doesn't mean he doesn't appreciate genre fare and it's him just like lamb not lambasting it's him just like worshiping the ground they live walks on because it's this really? like intensely political active movie that's like a very fun populist tale but also has a message that it is hitting hardcore okay but i assume that review that was unearthed yes as you i want to say it was unearthed took, took place came out some decades ago and I, I, people change i want to say so <laughs> yeah i mean i'm with you i don't think they live is carpenter's strongest film by any stretch of the imagination but there's no question it's just delightfully fun no, no. carpenter's best film in my mind is and shall always be they live no not, not they live Ugh. is and shall always be the thing um because you know that was my introduction to carpenter it's like the best horror film ever made in my opinion but they live i'm like a shit well three-way continue three-way tie i mean halloween changed everything right i mean like certainly people go well black christmas was first yes it was but it wasn't even close to the hit that halloween was and have the amount of influence or is even as close to as good a movie as halloween is halloween is like an understated masterpiece of slasher horror and then there's the thing of course which is was hated when it came out hated despised yeah uh, it was an unfortunate weekend, if I remember correctly. I think Blade Runner came out the same weekend, and so did something else that ended up dominating the box office. I forget what it was. Uh, and then uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which I think is just a one-of-a-kind movie. Nobody's ever made anything else like you know, it. it you know. I will admit, Big Trouble, I think, is probably the one that I have the most love for, just like in my heart of hearts. But I've always yeah. been aware that it's a strange beast because I showed it to my friend a while back. And after we saw it, it was at the Alamo Draft House. Like we sat up in the balcony, we did a whole thing of it. And he came out of the movie and just went, 
you know, I don't think I've ever seen a more 80s movie in my entire life. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was in fact made in the 80s, so that would follow. Uh, I, I just, I, I get that that of those three films may be the least accessible to a bigger audience, but it is... There's nothing else like it. Like I said, it's just so odd. Carpenter himself never made another movie like it. Nobody else has ever made another movie like it. And when they talk now about doing a sequel or a remake or something, I'm immediately nervous. Yeah. I'm like, I don't I think that's a lightning in a bottle situation, man. The only situation I would even mildly accept is if a Carpenter comes back on at the very least as a major consultant, like some, like an executive producer consultant, the way he did with the new Halloween, and B, the plot revolves around Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, his son he didn't know he had, who turns out to be leading a very similar lifestyle. I w I will only let that happen if it has nothing to do with the little China aspect of it, and is something completely different that has in and of yeah. itself fascinating and interesting and for today's day relatively obscure you know there should be big trouble in little like moscow yeah, or something just, just like some, that some you know completely different culture that we can delve into their their mythos for yeah agreed Equal. anyway sorry we have actual movies that are in our hands to talk about uh we could talk about we yeah. could do eighteen thousand shows about the merits of john carpenter films. you say that but i'm pretty sure everybody's favorite bit is going to be the last three minutes yeah <laughs> Uh, so we're going to get started here with talk about thirds, The Godfather 3, Coda, which they've just taken the three out of the title because Francis Ford Coppola, who is very into re-editing and remixing his own output, apparently, has decided that, well, I don't think it is a part three. Part one and part two are one film, and they very much are. They're both based on the same book, right? Like, they're both halves of the same book, so... That makes sense that that's part one, part two. But part three was a completely new thing, not based on any original book. Like, was it? I, so my understanding yeah. was that part three itself was also wrapped up into the book because I remember no. in high school seeing the last five minutes of this movie and telling someone that as they were reading the book, The Godfather, and not getting that they were at all related because I was dumb in high school. I'm sorry. No, um, this was and they a, got really offended. And this, and this was considered to be an epilogue, but the studio chose not to release it as such. Okay. And so this new cut that he's put together, which is I think about six minutes shorter or so than the original, is basically just a reshuffling of stuff to I don't know to to make it work better by Coppola's standards i mean if you've seen godfather 3 you've essentially seen this the only really sizable difference here in terms of like content is the very very end which if you've spoiler seen the original one features uh al pacino's character michael corleone dying all by himself alone and this one instead of having that is the shot up until when he dies <laughs> and goes and he lived a long unhappy life as punishment <laughs> which was a weird which is a weird different i mean it doesn't make it any better i thought it was kind of awkward in the original i got the point i was like yes that's the punishment you left you know your crimes gave you the worst of all punishments you had to live with them for the rest of your life and know the the crimes the, the things you did in the way they affected everyone who you loved who's left you but i don't know so improvement I've never seen the original. Um, I've seen uh -huh. Godfather 1 and 2, and it, it, this movie has been lambasted over the years so much that I was just like, no, I'm okay without ever finishing it because everyone hates it. Um, I kind of really enjoyed this movie. Maybe yeah, it was the difference in time. Maybe it's just that because like it's been out my entire life, I didn't have any expectations for it. Um, I get that there was some awkwardness in here. Uh, but like viewing it as this postscript kind of bit to the Godfather duology, it really worked for me. Uh, it had a couple yeah. of great sequences. It was fun watching Michael Corleone try to live a chase restrained life when that was never going to happen. Um, uh, like, I'll even say that they surprised me with one of their big action sequences in the middle. They kind of recreate, I'll say recreate. I don't know where this was in the, 
in the pantheon of helicopter attack sequences, but they had mm-hmm. a helicopter's attack surprise come out of nowhere. That's, you know, you see it in like Star Trek into darkness and in a dozen other action movies made. Um, I was not expecting it here. I was legit surprised right. by it. Yeah. There is a lot of reasons to really like this movie. The pr- only real problem with Godfather three is that it's nowhere near as good as yeah. Godfather one and two. And if we were talking about any other films, that might mean this film was bad, but Godfather one and two are, you know, arguably, obviously not everyone's tastes are the same. And those people who don't think so are wrong <laughs> are two of the greatest movies ever made. Right. Or I still think of them as one movie, because like I said, I read the book first. I think of them as sort of just one long continuous story. Uh, three is a really great follow-up it is indeed a coda an epilogue it's not as good as the first two but it's pretty fucking solid and let's not forget it was at the time despite all the the bitching that has done nothing but intensify by fans who a lot of which i've discovered when i hear them bitching about it have not actually seen it like oh it's terrible why would you watch it have you seen it no why would i watch it it's like oh for fuck's sakes but it was nominated for seven academy awards including best picture i mean this is something that generally speaking the critics were like yeah this is a really good film it's just not as good as well, the first and, and the chief complaint that i always hear lobbied at godfather 3 ends up revolving around sophia coppola just not being a good actress mm-hmm. she's and, not and the whole idea of nepotism and while like i will admit yes you're right she's not the best um, like watching Patrick Williams's bit on uh, Francis Ford Coppola and how he views filmmaking as this family affair and how his family is always involved in his movies and always have been. I'm like, you know, I kind of I, I really stopped caring about the fact that it's his daughter and she's not a great actress, but also she's not in the movie much. Also, nepotism had nothing to do with it. It was an emergency casting because I believe it was when Nona Ryder was originally cast in this role. And there was something had gone on. I can't remember what it is now where she at the last minute could not could not do it. And uh, Sophia had acted before and she'd worked with her father in a number of different ways on production. She clearly was in wanted to be involved with film. She just wasn't sure at that point of her life what direction that was going to take, although even then she was pretty sure it wasn't going to be acting. And she was kind of pressured into it because they needed someone and she was really familiar with the script already. So nepotism had nothing to do with it. You know, yeah. I mean, I get why people might think that, but like, read the history. That's not what happened. It is unfortunate because, like I said, Winona Ryder would have been much better in that part. And <laughs> Sophia Coppola, who herself admits she was like, look, I was a kid. Acting was not my my, my focus. And I was just kind of sidelined into this thing. Yeah, I'm not great in it, but she's not like the worst thing ever. She's we've seen much worse than her. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would I would legitimately say that. If you enjoyed the original Godfather trilogy or like you watched them back then, you should definitely give this a watch. Or if you've never seen Godfather three because you've heard it's a giant piece of shit, you should definitely rent and check this out. It's worth watching. Yeah. Or the or the original original cut, cut. really. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm kind of having watched both. I've watched the third one multiple times. I've watched this one once more recently, obviously. And. I was like, okay, I could take either or. I mean, I I guess I would have to watch them back to back to really decide which I like better, and I'm not going to do that. It's a really long film. Maybe in five more years, I'll rewatch the entire trilogy, and then I'll watch the original cut instead, and then not remember the differences. (laughs) But if you don't own this already, uh, like The Godfather 3, and you're thinking maybe this is the one you'll buy, don't do that because this comes with no bonus features. The previous Godfather 3 edition came with a lot of bonus features, and sooner or later they're going to reissue this with both versions on it and all the bonus features. What they'll probably end up doing is putting out, which hasn't happened yet, a 4K mega set of everything. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'd be shocked if that's not on the table. So I'm like, okay, if this has your curiosity up, rent it. Don't buy it. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to our next one, which we're getting into a little bit of television here and another film, not film, although it feels like a film a lot of the time, a miniseries on HBO that was one of the massive hits of 2019 that at the 71st Emmy Awards received 19 nominations. This is Chernobyl miniseries. You've almost certainly at least heard about it if nothing else. And maybe you're one of the many people out there like, man, I got too many streaming services. I can't afford HBO too. 
now paying for HBO for the first time since in like 25 years, I'm like, what was I doing? This should have always been like the, like right next to Netflix is that, well, you got to have that yeah. streaming service because there's just so much good stuff on it. Uh, this was one for our outstanding limited series, outstanding directing and outstanding writing. Uh, and the Golden Globe Awards, several of the actors received nominations for it, and it won for Best Miniseries or Television Film. Skarsgård uh, uh, won for uh, Stellan Skarsgård, I should say, won for Best Supporting Actor in a Series, Miniseries, or Television Film. This is, at worst, got some criticism for a little bit of liberties taken for dramatic purposes, but not huge liberties. Yeah, uh, but mostly like in the postscript at the end that they, they state yeah. some facts and then the rest of it is it's true in spirit where they'll combine characters into one or they'll shift yeah. some, or they, they leave aspects of the characters lives out because while yes it was important in their lives it's not relevant to the story that we're telling but like it's it's more accurate than not. Yeah, uh, and it is, you know, the weirdest thing about this whole thing, which is amazing, and and like I said, if you don't have HBO, understand, but you can rent or buy this now on Blu-ray and 4K, but the, the strangest thing about this is that it was it was uh, created by Craig Mazin, okay, which you're like, well, I don't know who that is. Well, that makes sense that you would know who he is. He uh, wrote Scary Movie 3 and 4. <laughs> And superhero movie and The Hangover Part 2 and 3. I mean, this is not a guy, when you look at his nothing in his list of uh, accomplishments before this in film, would lead you to believe that he would come on and create something like Chernobyl, which is kind of straight up a masterpiece of television. Masterpiece is the word. And it's also one of the most prescient period pieces I've ever seen because... Watching this in the middle of the pandemic and the election uh, and watching a story about a global disaster that uh, was hampered and impeded and made significantly worse by an inept government. It, it was it was an experience, let me tell you. Yeah, and I really I mean, so, yes, obviously, there's the comparison, comparable disaster now and what you're talking about with the coronavirus. But I think a lot of what really punches me with this one is the long term Russian way of how they deal with misinformation, how they like refuse to acknowledge the truth because of groupthink. And it really so much of this echoes what the Trump administration has done in their political way, you know, which is not surprising considering, oh, what do you mean there's ties between Donald Trump and Russia in terms <laughs> of a governing? What a shocker. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. But I, I, this has great performances all the way through. I mean, if you don't, I think we didn't even say, I mean, if you don't know what Chernobyl is, it was the, a meltdown of a reactor in Russia in the eighties that was horrible like a huge deal. Tons of people died and were sick and then died from being sick. And it, it's, I mean, this is an apocalypse story, basically just very localized. And it's got a great cast of people in it. Jared Harris, Dylan Skarsgård, Emily Watson, lots more people in smaller roles that you'll recognize here. It's touching, moving, disturbing, upsetting, and by the end, you're just exhausted the way you are after you finish, like, Requiem for a Dream or something, right? See, I wouldn't compare to that because when I went into this, I kind of dreaded it for a while and didn't watch mm. it until I had to for review because that's how it was pitched to me. Um, and it ended up – because it's so focused on the technical aspects of how they actually responded to the disaster, uh, yes, it is a gut punch and there are some really horrible and dramatic things that happened, but it – it never, it never just destroyed me. Okay, not never destroyed me. Um, it it didn't often destroy me. It ended up being like fascinating and dark and haunting, but still something that you could not be completely a wreck by after you finish it, like Requiem for a Dream. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I found mean, a lot of the it, things that people who know that they're dying, I, that they this action they've done has has killed them and there's a lot of the number one thing that gets to me every time and makes me choke up is noble, noble sacrifice yeah. 
And there's a lot of that going on. It, it's, <laughs> like, oh my God. it's the most emotional, heroic moment of male nudity on film in the last decade. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, honestly, like, I, there's no way to beat around the bush here. This is probably one of the best things created for television in the last few years. Uh, yeah. Like HBO has really hit it out of the park with their one-off miniseries because they've had The Watchmen, then they had The Outsider, and then they, they had Chernobyl. Those three are just flawless television. So good on you, HBO Max. And weirdly, you know what this guy who did this, who like executive creator, executive producer, writer, this masterpiece of film, uh, of tele- film on television, because it really is, is gone on to do after that. He's doing adaptations of Borderlands and The Last of Us and then the sixth Pirates of the Caribbean film. And we're like, dude, when you see a window open, go look through it because yeah. I'm pretty sure staying in schlock is not really I, I, the best I'm idea. I'm not going to lie, that tracks because he makes the super serious one. Now he's going to make the goofy, batshit insane Borderlands. Then he's going to go to make the super fucked up series last of us and then he's gonna switch back to the other piece of shit that the new pirates of the caribbean is it, i, I, I think it tracks his career path he's he's living his best life don't you make fun of the man <laughs> he's certainly <laughs> like financially successful so that much is certain if that's what you track by uh, there are some extra features here with uh interviews and behind the scenes footage on the inside the episode series of epks there's what is chernobyl which is a very short look of the history lesson there's a look at some of the focal characters in the piece called meet the key players is a behind the curtain with director johan rennick which is a short featurette looking at interviews i mean a lot of this stuff is just a little epk stuff and that's fine whatever hbo that's hbo doesn't tend to do really extensive bonus features unless it's like a retrospective thing but ultimately this is worth owning on 4k because it's It's gorgeous looking and i really recommend it yeah all right we're gonna move on to our next thing which is also on 4k which is not a hbo made for hbo miniseries is considered a masterpiece it is the film that in the although not officially in my mind kicked off the superhero to film revolution of hey maybe we could actually make these things good what do you think which is blade 4k no this is not part of the mcu proper although it might be no one really knows what's going on with the new blade yeah, yeah, film we'll find that's out in, soon enough. planned and yeah it might be considered to be canon and i wouldn't be surprised if they did because despite being this 1998 david s goyer written stephen norrington directed film was really mediocrely reviewed at the time it has among comic book movie fans and comic book fans have gotten a lot of credit for being one of the first ones that made them go, Hey, you, we can do these better. Well, the, the reason, first of all, God damn you, Chris, because I came on to say the same thing about this birthing the genre, but you said it better than I did, or I would have. So it's okay. Mm. Um, Maybe. And the reason why is because this is one of the first movies of the comic book superhero genre to actually assume that everything wasn't goofy and comedy. Because, like, we had had some Batman films before this, but even the really good ones were still overly dramatic Tim Burton gothic dreams of horrible beauty. They were still comic They, 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 they were still they, they com- were comic-y. comic book movies. You're like, they were like Dick yeah. Tracy. It was weird shit. This is the first one that went, no, 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 no. This is a serious movie. And even though it's a fun, stupid action movie, it never goes full goofball and it never really winks at the audience in a way that isn't kind of magnificent acting uh on part of and i can't believe i'm just blanking on fuck wesley thank Snipes? you i wanted to call him eddie murphy um oh uh, wonderful not not okay i know Aaron. i know Come on. i know <laughs> um uh wonderful uh like one-off liners of uh wesley snipes which are are yeah. the best parts of the movie you know, I, I love his one-liners here. There's so much. I mean, obviously, everyone knows the Ice Skate Uphill one, but re-watching this on 4K, which looks great, by the way. It's the best copy that exists out there. There's one where, like, like he's in a hospital, and he's, like, dealing with a vampire in there, and the cops shoot at him, and he goes, well, he's like, motherfucker, are you, are you crazy? <laughs> Just the idea that, like, his reaction to being shot at by Koss is like, what are you thinking, man? Oh, my God. I mean, he's just the epitome of cool in this movie. And, you know, there's only one spot that at all, for me, 
is like doesn't entirely work here and that's the uh, deacon frost there's a scene the big villain played by steven dorf the scene at the end where he gets like cut in half but like then reassembles the cg is fucking terrible yeah, but, <laughs> it's laughably awful but deacon frost the actor who plays him is great in the role like i've steven dorf never yeah. seen him do as good a job as he did hamming it up in this but it's he was i remember specifically he won best villain of the year at the mtv music awards because that's how old i was when this movie came out <laughs> and that of course is the, the and, and the mark we look for <laughs> and then this was also the last movie that steven norrington directed that was well received because after this he went and did um uh, the extraordinary gentleman and decided that he didn't know what audience is new anymore and is like an art yeah, director he quit. now. He's like, no, no, he, I'm he, done. Yeah. <laughs> they quit directing movies. I mean, arguably I've not seen, well, I have seen death machine. That was not good. I have not seen the last minute. Wait, I did see that. I just forgot about exactly. it. So it may not have been that good. Okay, but Blade's but, good. Uh, <laughs> Blade is good. Yeah. Norrington did Blade. So you got yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, Goyer also wrote Blade 2 and Blade Trinity, which Wait. Blade Trinity is not terribly good. But Blade 2, I would argue, is just as good. I don't as know Blade. what you're talking about. I don't remember them making a third Blade movie. Uh, but no, <laughs> don't no, be that guy. But I, I'm kidding. Uh, I enjoyed the Dracula part in Blade 3. Uh, but, but, but Blade 2 was a legitimately great movie. Um, but that's because as Guillermo del Toro. That's what he does. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, a lot of people much prefer the first one, and I get it. There's some style stuff. Like, the first one is like a vampire movie set at, like, your favorite nightclub. You know, it's just dripping with cool and slick and awesome. And the second one is the Guillermo del Toro, yeah. <laughs> which means it's, like, lots of really crazy, squicky monsters and, like, deep-cut Lovecraftian referencing. And? So they're very different films in a lot of ways, with the exception of Snipes, who is still playing this ultimate cool vampire slayer guy but uh some of the stuff in blade one is so iconic just from the opening with the nightclub that sprays down blood at the height of like the sort of rave music playing is like when we saw that we were like oh dude this is fucking cool dude it it, it is truly iconic like that he defined the modern day vampire party and skinny Donald Logue oh. playing the, like the 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 first toady of the main bad guy here, like who keeps not dying. Yeah, he he, he like, loses like, almost a, getting killed. He loses a limb in every scene he's in. <laughs> and uh, Tracy Lords is a small role early on in the film who leads the sort of victim to the blood rave. But yeah, really recommend this film if you've still not seen it. Yeah, it's silly, but it's awesome silly. I mean, maybe a lot of it, maybe some of it is nostalgia, but come on, man. There's just no shitting on Snipes in this role. And also, I stand by at what I've always said. At this point in time, when this movie came out, Wesley Snipes was absolutely the best Westerner actor to do physical martial arts type stuff on film because he actually knew it he was he is an accomplished martial artist in real life he knows how to do it no i mean i'm sorry i would put him his performance on film and knowing how to do these scenes up against any of the other major guys like chuck norris or steven seagal or anybody like you're that. preaching to the choir here I, i'm a staunch wesley snipes fan actually one of the things that's maybe most sad about kind of how everything's progressed in hollywood is that because he made some bad business decisions and got some really bad advice we've kind of he's been relegated to shitty movies and because yeah and that stinks i would really enjoy seeing wesley snipes and quality big budget action movies as an older hero like he would do a good job he was great in this i think and he's actually, also i'll say this i think he was born to play blade like i i, yeah. I as much as I'm excited for the MCU to be bringing Blade in and me dealing with more mature and more adult themes and content, like especially with Deadpool 3 getting announced just recently, um, I I still, it's like, but it's not Wesley Snipes. He was so good yeah. as Blade. But they, we don't know, though, man. Once yeah. again, they might be setting it up where it's like Son of Blade. And I really... <laughs> really hope that's what they're doing i really hope. all right i i'm not gonna necessarily say that i like the idea of son of blade i've never read blade i don't know but i would be very i would be very overjoyed to see the subtitle blade for son of blade <laughs> and then of course you followed up with ghost of blade and then there's uh blade meets abbott and costello and blade then, goes to yeah. the moon 
Yeah, yeah Blade goes to the moon. <laughs> Blade's day at the park. <laughs> anyway, this comes with a two audio commentaries, and that's it. However, I will say that there is something special about that because one of them was not featured on the last Blu-ray that had been released. It was rescued from the previous DVD release. So, which is a isolated score audio commentary with composer Mark Isham. So it's one of those like, oh, I love it when I see a studio paying enough attention to go, oh, well, why don't we rescue this thing? We own it. Uh, And and for collectors and people who have the best possible, the most complete copies of things, then, you know, do that shit more. Come on. Why why wouldn't you include all that stuff? Anyway, let's move on to our next one, which is another re-release of a horror comedy classic. This from our friends at Arrow Films, who are, I've been, you know, I finally gave up and just started saying it lately. They are the criterion for genre. Okay, here's the thing. You know. Arrow has been repeatedly putting out special edition versions of the movies that were instrumental in shaping who I am as a person. Uh, (laughs) And that trend is continuing. Tremors is a movie that I am unable to process on any way, but as a five-year-old kid seeing it for the first time. (laughs) And I don't care that I'm just like letting everyone know I am not an unbiased critic on this. I love you, Arrow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and this is not one I expected for them to put the amount of work into that they did. Now, I got lucky on this one, and I guess by extent, so did to a lesser extent, Aaron, because they, they always send us at Arrow, because their packaging is super expensive to put together. And they're a company that, like, I mean, they live and die, like, on the edge, because they spend a lot of money to get these films and to really produce them nicely and to put in great packaging. And they also put the, by, you know, the virtue of what they do, a lot of their stuff is way fucking niche as shit, like super niche. So they're not selling a huge amount of copies of some stuff. So things like Tremors coming out. This is a big name title. Obviously, it, it made Aaron into the man you see here today. Uh, and so they really went all out with shoving this thing full of bonus features with physical bonus features. But the reason I say we got lucky is because they, after this huge success, like really I, from what I heard, like one of their biggest successes ever with the Gamera box set that they put so out. Good. Thank you. Arrow. <laughs> they got our buddy and contributor to one of us, Matt Frank to do the cover art for each one of the separate slide in ones and i know you've got the actual set absolutely yeah you can actually if you're watching the video review uh you can look on the camera and see me pointing (laughs) to it on my bookshelf behind my head right now very very featured i'm very proud of this bad boy it's it's a great set we reviewed it earlier on, on one of these episodes um i'm not as big a kaiju fan as some of my friends <laughs> present company not ex- excluded of I course am. but 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 i do enjoy kaiju to some extent and i enjoy gamera probably even more than godzilla i know i'm weird in that way but i think it was that they're being that pleased with it they were like hey uh do you want to do tremors which isn't technically in matt frank's wheelhouse he's more of a giant monsters and ultraman type of guy but he was like you know what i love tremors and they they are technically giant i was gonna say i would classify tremors as giant monsters they're like giant earthworms (laughs) so they generally only send me the the white discs which is why i was talking about how expensive it was for them to produce this which is fine i get it they're they're at this point they're not as big as criterion they can't be affording to sending all the press and little press like us the full editions of this stuff and that's fine i'm just happy to have the blu-ray or 4k quality stuff that they are sending i mean if you guys ever change your mind and want to send me the whole packages i i wouldn't argue but in this case matt was sent a whole box of copies of it because he did not just the art for the cover, but lots of internal art. Like there's a fold out poster showing the anatomy of, uh, of the graboids, the monster from which, by the way, he had to actually come up with some of it because it had never been detailed before. So we had to like research it and like say, well, what if we put this here? Like some of that now the canon of what the graboids are in the tremors franchise is because of Matt Frank. He invented that, which I think is kind of, I'm not going to lie. I might still buy it just for, for the special features and well anyways we're talking yeah. about arrow too I, I just want to call out because i love them very much uh they have a streaming network you should go and sign up for it and pay them money it's great it's great yeah all their or the bulk of their stuff anyway uh on there for streaming but so i only got the white disc sent to me but then matt was like well i've got all these copies why don't i give you one and i'll sign it and all that of the of the actual full physical set i'm like ha so it's like hey aaron you can just keep those white discs <laughs> 
Yeah. But very yeah, grateful. Yeah. Thank and, you very much. It's amazing. I squeed. Uh, and th- there is – so there's one thing missing, and I only call it the one thing missing because they have a great special feature. So if you're like me and you grew up watching this movie after it was recorded on Paramount, uh, which was Channel 20 back in the day, um, you actually grew up not with the cut that's present on this disc, but with the edit, which has like a, a minute, maybe of violence edited out, just a little bit of blood and guts, but mostly is language dubbed over yeah. with some truly remarkable and wonderful <laughs> lines. And so the one great miss is that they don't have that version of the movie on here, which, you know, they're such a big stickler for making reference quality versions of this. And with Gamera, they have all those kinds of weird ass one-off versions of the dubs. I really wish they had included it here, but instead Hmm. what they include is like a sizzle reel of all the best moments in the Tremors franchise or the Tremors movie that were edited and changed. So you can watch it Hmm. like as it was in the movie, uh, and then you can watch it with uh, the various versions of Pardon My French. Yeah, and there's um, some deleted scenes. I didn't have the previous Blu-ray, so I'd never seen them, but that are really worth seeing, like whole extra sequences that I was like, oh, wow, I didn't. I, there's a whole opening that was completely different, uh, as well as a new brand new do- documentary produced by Universal, which is surprising because they really don't do that with retro catalog stuff very often called Making Perfection. Uh, and then there's a bunch of new interviews that Arrow set up with like the co-producer, the director of photography, associate producer and second unit producer. There's a look at uh, the, the really still hold up amazing physical effects for the Graboids uh, digging the dirt to visit the visual effects of Tremors. Where they look at the crew, talk to the crew from that. There's another new piece featuring uh, the film score and talking about that. And then there's some archival documentaries. Um, there's a lot of shit in here. The original EPKs that were produced, all the trailer and radio spots and the VHS promos and image galleries of all kinds. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a extended... I mean, this is two discs, right? So there's a lot of extra stuff here. Uh, extended interviews from uh, Making Perfection, which is the uh, the look at actually cr- the, the new documentary. So this yeah. is like n- more stuff that didn't get included in the final cut. Uh, there's interviews and short films as well. Early short films by uh, some of the people involved with this, including the director, Ron uh, Underwood. I mean, this is, and like I said, this the slipbox, 60 page bound book with it. And inside a slipcase, a foldout poster, a smaller foldout double sided poster, six double sided postcard, lobby card, reproduction art cards, a joke coupon for Walter Chang's market. Uh, for renting a video revert. If you have the non slip cover and you have the plastic case one, there's a reversible sleeve. Uh, this is an amazing set. We didn't even talk about the movie itself, but if you don't know, small Texas town, giant un- monsters that crawl under the ground, start coming up and terrorizing the town. And everyone relies upon the uh, skills of Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Michael Gross, uh, and I'm blanking on what the hell her name is, the the female lead here who was not as successful later in her career as they were. But anyway, uh, really fun, kind of classic, definitely a cable, like an 80s cable classic of just playing, you know, or sorry, 90s cable classic of just playing in heavy rotation all over the place. It's funny. It's smart. It's it's bloody, but not bloody, you know? It, yeah, it, it's... It's definitely scary. It's PG-13 bloody. Like, yeah, there's some blood and guts, um, and there's a little bit of cursing, but that's about it. This is a great uh, just little monster movie. It's, in my opinion, uh, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward's best movies. I unabashedly love this. It's really, really terrific. And it's the first in the franchise. It was followed by five direct video sequels <laughs> only just going to throw this out there like yes you might get some quality with some of the later ones yeah. but the second one is legit yeah like, no, like I, th- I think the good. first and second ones are both legit good movies yeah and then after that it gets it gets fair to me well i was gonna say five oh. five sequels and one prequel and then there was a television series that aired in 2003 march through august of 2003 called tremors the series and then there was gonna be a new one that was actually shot the pilot with kevin bacon in it and it didn't get picked up and i'm still like can someone please send me 
Anyone yeah. out there, can you send me? I don't want the script. I want the actual pilot. I want to see this yeah, fucking I want thing. to see it. Give me more. Yeah. But I, I hope that the sales of this thing are sufficient where they just say, fuck it. We're going to buy the rights to all of them and just put out a fucking box set. Because I haven't seen every Tremors film. I've seen most of them. And at their worst, they're just, you know, they're, they're silly B-movies. Yeah. But I've not, I, I've enjoyed every single one that I've seen well, it, to some degree so, or another. Arrow's adoption of 4K, I think, has been pretty stellar because they did flash gordon and they're about to release akira as well like i i think i may have an interest in picking up like everything they're actually putting on 4k so our next one is that oh remember when we were talking about there was one movie that was so bad you (laughs) wouldn't believe it well that is smiley face killers oh my god yeah oh my god is right uh this is directed by tim hunter who's mainly a television director he's but he did, in fact, get his name known for directing the huge cult success film River's Edge in 1986, which starred uh, Keanu Reeves, Crispin Glover, Ian Sky, uh, Daniel Roebuck, Dennis Hopper. I mean, it was a big deal to people who loved cult movies when it came out. And I still go back and rewatch it like really bizarro, fun as shit, dark little movie. This movie, I guess its biggest claim to fame is that it was written by Brent Easton Ellis and I believe it was written I want to say it's the first thing he ever wrote for the screen that was totally original like not based on one of his own books right and obviously he's had a lot of movies based on his own books but like this was you know okay for the movies and I'm going well I like to some extent or another Brent Easton Ellis movies Like, I'm not going to lie. I kind of had a sit down look through of his career mm-hmm. after I watched this movie. And I have come to the realization that while I may respect some of his stuff, I don't like any of his stuff. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. He, he's a he's a nihilistic dude. He is. Who I, likes very beautiful people doing very horrible things. You know what the best adaptation of his works are? It works is, is American Psycho. And that's because they looked at this book, which is, by the way, I'm sorry. I know there are people out there who love it, but I thought that book was the most narcissistic piece of garbage. I just, I really hated it. And he, they took it and went, there's no way to make a good movie out of this. So we're just going to say, fuck it. And we're going to play it for laughs. And that's exactly what they did. And you ended up with an actually really entertaining, but dark as shit, black comedy of a horror movie. Really recommend that particular movie. Everything else is like, yeah, it's really, really incredibly glamorous, pretty people who are just, but horrible inside. And yeah, you, just, why should I care? And this is not that exactly. Cause it doesn't resemble those type of movies. It's not a yuppie dialogue the way those movies are, but it's based on the, completely debunked smiley face murder theory which you know look it up for yourself but it's the the idea is that there is a cult of people that has been abducting and murdering pretty men for decades and they leave a spray-painted smiley face in places where they did the murders uh once again completely and utterly debunked but this treats it as if it was real following a to-be-murdered guy That also sounds like the smiley face killers are actually a really relevant part of the vast majority of this movie. And they're not. Like, so, so this is one of two movies that we have this cycle uh, that I, I kind of halfway refer to as plotless movies. The other one we'll get to I actually adored. Um, but there's not really there's not really much going on. It follows this guy who he has some kind of uh, emotional disorder that he has to take medication for. He's gone off the medication and all of his friends are worried. And the the story ostensibly is about the smiley face killers um, murdering some people around him and then making it look like he may or may not be the person who did it. But really none of that matters. It's just kind of following this guy go about his life and be kind of a dick to people for a while until it kind of becomes about the smiley face killers in the last like 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sets you, it sets it's you bad. up for like this guy who's like, Oh, he's kind of bipolar. He's one of those guys who's like, Oh, I, my medication makes me feel cloudy. And yeah. his girlfriend is like, no, I mean, I've personally been in this situation. So I understand of his girlfriend, not, not him. And he, he thinks someone is stalking and appearing to him and the film instead of going is he crazy or is this really happening which would have been interesting go no it's really happening 
And uh, like they do stuff that's inexplicable. Like the killers are like, oh, we put a map in his room with all these smiley faces like located on it of where we've done killings. Why? What does this have to do with anything? Well, the, the news is when they finally get to the killers, one of which is played by a hooded Crispin Glover with a latex facial deformity. There's no explanation. There's not even the attempt of an no. explanation. No. This is just the lead up of exploring some really boring, unlikable college kids, like just super unlikable until one of them gets killed out of nowhere. And there's nothing good about it. It's not well shot. It gotta help us. It's not well acted at all. This is wooden as fuck acting. The best thing I can say about it is like, well, you know how like most like 80s and 90s slasher horror films are going to feature at least one set of boobs. Well, this has got a lot of penis in it. So if that's what you thought we were looking for, I want to see a horror movie with a lot of nail m naked men. Birthday suits a mondo for the main character here. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I was trying to sit here and think, like, am I just looking at this movie wrong? And is this like one of those great trashy movies and it's not it's like just not for me and that's why i didn't get the allure but i'm pretty sure this is just a terrible film it's trash yeah uh there's a behind the scenes for eight and a half minutes there's the trailer and that's it yeah it's i just it's there are going to be those people who are going to take something away from it being like just an example of how not to make a movie so literally that it's laughable like you're like what are you doing at points but uh i can't it's dull it's not fun enough to to warrant me saying, yeah, you should check it out. You know, I mean, there are movies that I'm like, this is a great, terrible movie like uh, Slumberhouse Massacre 2. No, come on. It's not. It doesn't even do us the honor of being offensive. It yeah. just is. Yeah. All right. We'll move on to something I genuinely really, really liked. This was one of my favorites that played at Fantastic Fest this year, the digital online only Fantastic Fest. But hey, what are you going to do? And that is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, a comedy horror film written, directed by and starring Jim Cummings. Now, if you don't know that name, you should look into Jim Cummings. In 2016, he was first did the short film called Thunder Road. Then he remade it into a 2018 feature film of the same name. This could be a sequel to Thunder Road, just where Thunder Road was a dramedy uh, featuring Cummings as a sort of neurotic police officer character. Here, he's playing basically the same character, except with werewolves. <laughs> and he's a small town uh, d deputy. His dad, played by one of the very last roles, may have been the last role. It, it was his last role. Yeah. Robert Forster is ill and he knows that he's going to be asked soon to sort of step up, but he's kind of freaking out about that. He's freaking out because there's a series of terrible, brutal murders taking place in the ski community that he lives in. Everyone is like, dude, it's a fucking werewolf. <laughs> and there's certainly lots of evidence that it is, in fact, a werewolf. So, And he's the one guy going, it's not a werewolf. There's no such thing as werewolves. And this is one of those movies that is funny regularly, but it never is funny in a way that makes it not seem like it's plausible. And I love so, that about it. One of the main themes that the movie is dealing with is the fact that the main character is a recovering alcoholic mm -hmm. and it kind of tracks the story of him falling off the boat uh, as his life starts to fall apart and getting drunker and drunker and drunker too. And so like it gives a harder edge to the comedy that like I ended up having a little bit of a struggle really getting into the main character uh, and getting onto his side because he was dealing with that. But like the overall story, it works. It is still really funny. And while I, I admit there are a couple of twists that I was like, God damn it. I wish you hadn't done that. <laughs> it's still, it worked. It just wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> but that's fair. Um, I, I, you know, I remember when I was seeing this and Thunder Road as well, I was like, this is a story of a very complicated person who's not very pleasant to be around. But the story of that breaking point when they learn why their behavior is bad and what they should do to fix it. Yes. Yeah. And I think those I've seen films like that where they don't work at all because by the time you get to that moment, you're like, I don't care. I don't care what happens to this person. But this film gives you enough of seeing inside who this person is all the way through it, even at his as he's bottoming him out that you still kind of care about him. And I think the fact that there's a werewolf running around, arguably killing people is just something else to keep your attention there. I feel like it's a movie that benefits from more than one watch. See, I, I think that it benefits from being a genre movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's 
the idea of pairing something outlandish and goofy with something that's a very real, honest-to-God, serious problem that people face every day, it, it does a job of it both grounds the fantastical nature of the story, i.e. werewolves, but it also, like, it, it distracts us, like you said, from the fact that we're really dealing with a man destroying his life with alcohol. And so it, it, it lets us know, like, eh, no matter what, there's always another cool werewolf scene to come about. And the werewolf design in this is pretty wicked cool. Like, I, yeah. I dig this style of werewolf quite a bit. There are some bonus features here that actually get into that and show you how they did it. There's a, the design of the werewolf that's really cool. I love it when they super get into the practical effects and show you how they built it and how fucking uncomfortable it was for the actor <laughs> and it to wear it. But uh, there's three other short EPK features like that in here that are all interesting to some extent or another. I would have liked if there was like a, a feature-length documentary because I think this is an odd little movie. Some critics referred to it as, I saw more than one person say, it's Fargo meets Silver Bullet, which I don't agree with but there's no question there are influences that come from other werewolf films there's influences that come from the coen brothers but at no point does this feel feel like i would say it's taking anything directly from either one of those things no no it's definitely its own thing yeah well let's move on to a much older film and this is one of all the movies i expected to see aaron in this stack like yeah, he likes to send me random messages, I think, when he's had a few. You know what I mean? When he's like when he's like Jim Cummings in the last movie. When uh, I have strong feelings. When he has strong feelings about something, he'll he'll text me some like sometime just like a, a whole diatribe and it's very amusing to me. But this one, I was like, Really? Nineteen seventies Diary of a Mad Housewife is the one that set you off? I fucking adore this movie. This is maybe the best time i had aside from tremors out of this entire set wow yeah i i I love this movie uh it 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 spoke to me in a way that i was not prepared for so (laughs) so it's a diary of a mad housewife is is a 1970s movie that's basically a look at marriage and life for the domesticated housewife in that era and it is as relevant today as it was back then um the main character and, and i should pull up my imdb and have all this on hand i'm sorry i didn't so i sent you uh, the links <laughs> I, I know i know i know but as you said I, i've had a few and so it's, carrie, it sometimes inhibits me carrie snodgrass is thank it, you who was nominated for an academy award for best actress for this and won the golden globe for it yeah justifiably she's amazing so carrie snodgrass plays bettina or tina uh who's married to jonathan uh who's played by richard benjamin ha i pulled up the wikipedia i got it now um, <laughs> i was just like transylvania six five thousand you know the transylvania six five thousand guy she's married to him so, so basically she's in a unhappy relation an unhappy marriage her husband Every single line of dialogue he has in the entire movie is berating her constantly. And he has this nasally voice. He is so good or at just, being a shit heel. Just and gaslighting the shit yes. out of her. And her, her every interaction with her daughters, they're just completely destroying her because they see the dad do that all the time. Uh, it's about her finally starting to realize that everyone in her life shit talks her every second of every day she spends every second trying to serve everyone and it's never enough there's never a moment where she feels appreciated so inevitably as you do in that situation she starts looking for comfort and starts up an affair with she has a type is all i'm saying she yes she has a type with uh although not physically frank langella Langella, always going to be to me the the 70s dracula is like the sexy dracula but yeah, who's basically like I say he has a type. She he's just a he's even an abusive more asshole. intensely abusive asshole than her husband is right the, from the get go. The only difference is he at least is a good fuck. Yeah. But but the cool thing is that she also goes in like knowing that. And, and so that's the part that kind of really got to me and why I love this movie so much is because it's a woman who is abused verbally so often by so many different directions that it's her standard state of being and watching her try to struggle with that and find any kind of achievement in that. Like once you get connected to the character, it's a harrowing story. This was like watching Requiem for a Dream for me. Like it pulled me in like that. And then the thing is, is at the end of the movie, there's really not a resolution. There's not a point where she gets a happy ending. No. She just gets 
a slightly different flavor. And the, the kind of point that the movie is the making is that that's exactly what was facing Housewives of the day. And that's exactly what's facing a lot of people now. Like with one of the sad sides of the pandemic is that with everybody being stuck near their horrible or hopefully, hopefully wonderful partners in this uh, time of quarantine, there are lots of people who are stuck with really, really unpleasant people. Yeah. And so like, I just, I felt for the character. I really got into it. I think this is a really powerful, relevant movie that I recommend to anyone. I loved it. I'm actually with you, Aaron. I thought this was great. Um, it is, you you kept going as you're, as you're watching it. Where is this going? Because like I said, she goes right from one asshole to an even bigger asshole who, like you said, at least he can fuck, but, and is good looking. <laughs> but, I'm going, where, what is this movie's point? And at the end, you totally are like, this is a three-dimensional real person that is flawed and doesn't know what to do and is lost, is adrift. And the final shot of this movie where you were revealed that she's been telling this story to a therapy group after the fact, and they all immediately light into her and start giving her shit for not being in a traditional role uh, as a woman and a housewife, I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Although I'm curious, tell me that wasn't Peter Boyle. It was uh, Peter Boyle. In that, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when they cut to Peter Boyle in the final sequence, I screamed. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> nope, that was Peter Boyle. There was a, oh shit, there was somebody else who had a cameo in here too. And I'm blanking on who, oh, Alice Cooper. What? Yeah, he's in the band playing at the party. I did not. Holy shit. Yeah. Crazy, right? Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a Kino re-release, and I uh, it's it's a hard watch, but it's kind of an important watch. I mean, especially if you are interested in exploring feminism and feminism of the time, it's a movie that isn't about characters yelling about feminism. It's about watching what it's like to be in the world without feminism yeah. you know uh yeah it's I, it's I, disturbing I, I this is one of the movies that if you can at all enjoy a drama i think that this is a required watch uh, yeah there's a new audio commentary by screenwriter larry karasweski i don't know if i'm saying that right and two film historians theatrical trailer uh, and trailers to some other Kino releases. But yeah, it's really good, and it is well worth seeking out, even though, like I said, it is going to be distressing. We're going to finish up tonight with one of the most talked-about movies of 2020 for those who actually went out to go see it. I was not one of them. I was not willing Nor to go I. to a theater to go see Christopher Nolan's Tenet, no matter how much I was looking forward to it, which was quite a, a bit. I've always been very mixed about Nolan. I think he makes beautiful movies that sometimes are kind of shitty. So I, and my and, theory about <laughs> Nolan is he makes like he makes shitty B movies with an air of austerity and uh, culture. Well, it's, so like it's so weird, like a film like Tenet or Inception that pays so much attention to the micro details of making everything fit together in a technical aspect. And then he makes a film like Interstellar that's way lazy about making it all work on that level and fitting the science. And I'm like, no, I don't understand no, where I'm, you I'm come telling from. you. So he really enjoys grindhousey B genre pictures, but he puts a lot of money into them to make them feel very real. And he pays a lot of attention to the minute detail, but he always is sloppy in his script. Mm. His, Christopher Nolan scripts are sloppy when you get to the big details. Mm. Batman Returns, not Batman Returns, The Dark Knight Returns is when we start to really see that shift. Um, but like even um inception like there's still some aspects of that movie that are super sloppy we just forgive it because it's such a great heist movie and every and, and, yeah every and, movie and, is a balance of what's good to bad generally and, and speaking so i'll admit tenet is one where i think his bad habits outweigh his good habits but it's him taking on the uh the no, I'm not going to say the time travel genre because as much as this movie has time travel in it, it's not about time travel. Yeah, it's it's chronal, it, it, it's, chronal it's distortion, a, not time travel. <laughs> it's a it's a James Bond spy movie. Yeah, is what he's really making a movie about because it's about a spy who is trying to stop a billionaire mad 
uh, power-hungry guy who basically has decided that since he knows he can't live in the world, the world shouldn't live without him. And, like, it's about tr- stopping a mad genius from destroying the world. It's such a James Bond movie. There's even a James Bond-esque layer that they have to storm in the movie. Yeah, I mean, It's just that in the backdrop of this Colonel Civil War, which I'm not going to lie, I have this fantasy that if Christopher Nolan were able to make three tenant movies like i think he should and hear me out uh the second one would be from the point of view of the people who are going backwards in time where the protagonist i put that in quotes is the actual bad guy and then the third one which is titled tenant three singularity is when they realize that there's not an actual civil war and it's a benevolent thing and they all start living time like dr manhattan and that's just the way humanity is like that's I'm telling you that's the tenant franchise I want, but uh, that tangent aside, uh, yeah, tenant it's a spy movie. It's, it's <laughs> it is uh, it's a spy film with almost no personality. Is my nope. big problem with it? Uh, its only personality is the cinematography. Its characters are have little moments here and there. John David Washington, who's enormously charismatic, is uh, the protagonist, literally is is literally referred to yeah, as the literally protagonist. T- which is why in the sequel he's called antagonist. Yeah, oh, right. There, there you go. Um, he's a CIA agent. When we meet him, undercover operation in a Ukrainian opera house, he's nearly killed. He is Life is saved in a way he's not sure how it was saved. Um, and he's sort of ends up in a situation where he is killed quote and wakes up with a guy going, okay, well you're no longer alive, but you are alive and you work for us. And we are this group that uses this super high technology here. Uh, the, the group's called tenant and man trying to understand the, like you said, the chronal distortion of this film, the science of this film is really hard to get. I mean, even down to the last big action scene, I'm still like, I don't entirely get so, what's going on here. I'm curious. But, like, they invert, like, there's often things, two timelines happening simultaneously in the same place, but people who are coming from the future into the past are doing it one minute at a time, literally going backwards as they're doing it. To them, they see, I mean, they're not, you know, if there are two of them doing it at once, they would hear each other normally, but anyone else, they would hear talking backwards, Right. Yeah, so and like, the same in reverse. I, I guess it's like they, they take an item, be it a living person or a thing, and they reverse its time. So whenever it's reversed, from then on, it is traveling backwards through time concurrently. Right. And there's lots of shifting from backwards to forwards. And you're right. Like, this is a confusing as fuck movie because Christopher Nolan doesn't really care about the characters. He wants his set pieces. Yeah. It does play a lot better the second time around when you're like, okay, I know the basic story and now I can pay attention to the minute by minute, just what's happening and how it all fits together. And there are some action sequences in this movie that I legitimately don't understand how they filmed it. Like there are some amazing fight sequences where one person is moving forwards in time and one person is moving backwards in time. There's a car chase like that. They crash a fucking jet airliner into a building. Like like, there's some cool stuff. Basically this is a really fake smart Michael Bay movie that's directed by someone with a steady hand. And like, like that's how I saw this film. So I ended up getting a lot of enjoyment out of it, especially the second time going, this is a dumb action movie. It can lose half an hour at the drop of a hat. Oh, you, you could easily lose one to two of these action sequences and the movie would be better for it. Or just long um, dialogue sequences. Yes. I mean, this, this could have lost 45 minutes and replace it with a f- new five minute scene to yeah. take care or, of what those 45 minutes dragged on and on to get or, or if he really cared about the story, which he doesn't, um, he could have made this. This would have been a great miniseries, really exploring the backwards and forwards aspect. But it's not. It's it's a big, overlong, very pregnant action movie that has some amazing sequences in here that you should definitely watch in 4K if you can. But don't don't get your hopes up. It's it's a dumb movie. Yeah, it's Nolan just is, a fun, dumb movie. Nolan is a tech bro, no question. He is a really wildly talented tech bro, but story is not his strong point. No. Um, it depends on who he's working with, quite frankly. 
And I don't think that, I guess he, I just don't feel like he was, he should be writing films himself, no. I guess is he, what it comes down to. He, he, he need, he's a great director. He needs to be helping craft the sequences with the yeah. eye that he has, but he definitely needs someone who has a better idea of telling an overall story. Someone who gets like the, the arcs of Dude, characters if they put to him, get involved and polish his ideas. If they put him and like Taylor Sheridan together, you oh. know, as a writer director team, I'm like, there's a good team right there. Cause, yeah. Cause I think Sheridan is knows enough about writing for the screen that he's directed some films himself and did a good job, but he's not a director on, on, on anywhere near Christopher Nolan's level of talent or experience. Nolan has never been terribly great at writing scripts, but he certainly knows how to take someone else's script. That's really good to make a, a really good movie out of it. I, I know this was to me kind of ended up being pretty dull and I hate the fact that, yeah, you know, the bad guy is Kenneth Branagh, who's playing bad guy with like a, I guess it's supposed to be Estonian or something, but it's just Russian accent, basically. He's Russian. And I'm like, didn't he play this character in another film? I'm pretty sure he played this character already in another I film. I think it was like, in exactly. Jack Ryan, which is the same kind Jack of movie. Ryan. Yeah. Although it, the, the end to his story is so delightfully, absurdly funny that I was almost okay with it just for that last five seconds. <laughs> But the leads, the three leads here are all good in it when they get a chance to be. I mean, there's a certain amount of coldness to the script that only allows them but so much. But they do shine when they're given an opportunity. And that's John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, and Elizabeth Debicki, who's quickly turning into a huge star. Yeah. Although she's played this same character like three times as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> she's like, yeah, she, yeah. she has a type. Yeah, she has a, she has a type. <laughs> But this is out on 4K. I definitely do. No matter what you've heard about it or what people have told you about it, I've met people who go from everything from this is now one of my favorite movies ever to wow, what an utter complete waste of time. You know, and I never can predict what people, where they're going to fall on this. I came somewhere in the middle. I'm like, there's so much about this that could have been so much better, but there's no denying the fact that Tenet is an experience and is meant to be watched as big as you can. Don't watch it on your laptop or you're definitely not going to like this movie. Yeah. I can't imagine liking this movie and watching it on your laptop. No, like, well, watch on no. the biggest screen you can. If you if you wait till there's a retrospective, I'm sure they're going to, once theaters are fully reopened, they're going to end up shoving this back out again and to give more people a chance to see it in the theater. And even I, who was very mixed about it, would consider seeing this in a theater to get the full effect. Uh, it's it's beautiful. It's just not terribly good. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's, you know what? You got it right. It's a big, dumb, beautiful, technically impressive, okay movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of bonus features here, about 76 minutes of mini EPKs that come together into one documentary about the film that this is a three disc 4K collection. So, you know, I mean, the bonus features are all on a second Blu-ray that are in here because the first Blu-ray is just the movie. It's a long fucking movie. <laughs> it's like two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, that's a long fucking movie. Anyway, that's it for Digital Noise, except for the one thing, which is our pick of the week. And I'm going to say it's Tremors. I'm sorry. It's Tremors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. It's, it was Tremors the whole. It was Tremors the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were there, Tremors. And you were there. Oh, wait. No, it's just Tremors. Anyway, that's my co-host, Aaron. You can see him not only here and on our reviews at, at one of us on the on the uh, Screener Squad reviews, but he's also on the Mission Impotable podcast. What? What? You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Father Baldor. There you go. And we'll be back actually quite shortly with another episode. Woo woo. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>